0: welcome to the Oceans Church podcast. We pray that as you join us for this message, you are blessed, encouraged, and empowered to bring the kingdom of heaven into your spheres of life. Right? And so he talked about a number of things. He said to us, number one, life is short, right? Life is short. You don't realize that when you're young, but it doesn't take too long until you start doing the math and you think this year was only six weeks long, and so this is not going to go very well. And so you start to realize that even though you might live hopefully 70, 80, 90 years, you're not going to be able to accomplish everything that you want to do in your life. And so life is short. You've got to make decisions about how you're going to live your life. And then he said, secondly, tomorrow is not guaranteed. And that's something that's really, really good for us to consider, that we do not know, any of us in this room, if we will be alive tomorrow. That's sobering, it's terrible, but it's real. But in another way, we've got to realize that we never have tomorrow, right? All you have is today. And so we've got to live with the urgency of today. And the third thing Shafin said was that Jesus' return is imminent. In other words, Jesus is coming soon. We don't know when it will be, but it will be some today that we live. He will come, and so we should live our lives in a way that takes that seriously, right? That's what this this message is about. Chafin ended last week with a question that I want to repeat because it was so good. It was, how will you spend the currency of your life? right how are you going to spend your life because we only have this one life to live we do not know how much time we have but what we do have control of is how we spend the life that we have how are you spending it and so this series is a reality check we're already two minutes in and it already hurts a little bit right it's already like ah I'm not liking this maybe you like these type of messages God bless you if you do but this is gonna be a challenging one today I just want to prepare you for that this this is gonna hurt a little bit but we need it because it's good to have our priorities examined. Because if we are heading in the wrong direction, we need to know. We need to know, and the sooner that we know, the better. So we can make some changes. And change is never fun, it's always painful. But it's good for us if we start to prioritize differently, right? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So last week was living with urgency, this week is living with, well, Chaffin called it persistency, which I didn't think was a word, but then I looked it up, and it really is a word. Persistency, more often known as persistence, uh, which sounds better. But this is persistent, building lives of gold. It sounds like we're ready for the Olympics, right? Yeah, okay. So this, this message is about persistence. Because Jesus is coming soon, we need to change how we live our lives. But we need to keep living with persistence, because we don't know exactly when he's coming. We need to make decisions and then stick with them and persist in our lives. So I want to start with the scripture. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you have Bibles, scroll there, turn there, look on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, this is verses 12 to 15. So we're looking here. It says, some will use gold or silver or precious stones in building on the foundation. What is this foundation we're talking about? If you look earlier in the chapter, what's happening here is it's using an analogy that when we believe in Jesus, it's like like we're building a new house. We have a foundation, and that's our belief in Jesus. It's built on the message from those that have told us about Jesus. But then we have to choose how we're going to build on that. What are we going to build our lives with? How are we going to decide what our life is like? And so here it says, some will use gold or silver or precious stones in building on the foundation others will use wood or grass or straw and the quality of each person's work will be seen when the day of Christ exposes it for on that day fire will reveal everyone's work the fire will test it and show its real quality if that if what was built on the foundation survives the fire the builder was, will receive a reward But if your work is burnt up, then you will lose it. But you yourself will be saved as if you had escaped through the fire. What a scripture. So here, the day of Christ, the second coming of Christ, is being likened to a fire, right? Far too relevant for right now. Way too relevant. But we know that what survives the fire, according to this analogy, is what is worthwhile. So the gold, the silver, the precious stones, that's the eternal stuff that really matters. If we build our lives out of what matters, it will survive the fire. But if we build our life out of worthless things, it won't survive the fire. This is not talking about our salvation, by the way. This is not about whether you're going to be with Jesus forever. That is assumed in this passage. What this is talking about is how you build your life after. And it's saying that some of us could get to the end of our life and escape with the smell of smoke and that's it. And that seems a little bit sad. What this is encouraging us to do is to build our life out of things that matter. So this is not just about starting well, but about finishing well. So urgency, what we heard last week was about starting well, changing priorities. This week is about persistence and perseverance and finishing well, continuing to make those decisions and then sticking to them through our whole life. So starting well is easy. So I I study uh, the last couple of years, and every semester I have a goal to really do well, right? I've got every assignment mapped out. I know when I'm going to finish it. I'm going to finish early. I'm going to get my assignments done. I'm going to have, like, weeks to spare. I've got the plan. And inevitably, by the end of the semester, I'm pulling all-nighters, drinking coffee, trying to just get those assignments in one minute before the deadline, whatever I can do, because I don't always finish as well as what I started, right? I want to start well, but I want to finish well. And It's a lot harder to finish well than it is to start well, yeah? That's, that's the problem. So the question then is, how do we build our lives of gold? What processes do we have to have in place? To get that gold being built out through our entire life. And so we're going to go over to 1 Peter chapter 1. Which is going to come up on the screen. 1 Peter 1. This is from verses 3 to 7. A great passage to meditate on. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 7. So it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Here's the connection. It is being tested as, uh, as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Okay, so what makes our life built from gold? This passage suggests it's our faith that is tested Like metal is refined by fire. So we sometimes live as though Jesus is just valuable for the next life, but not for this life. So we believe in him and we have hope for the future. But sometimes, perhaps, if we looked at our life objectively, we might say that, really, it's not making much difference for my life today, right? And so we need faith that starts to permeate every part of our life, not just the surface levels and not just for the next life, but for, for, for this life as well. And we want faith that permeates down deep so that it's not just on the surface, but every part of us believes that God is good and that he loves us and our whole life reflects that. That's what we're, that's what we're aiming for. Now, there is suffering that we go through just by being human. Just, just being alive will mean you will go through pain, right? You know this. And that has nothing to do with whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. There's just a certain amount of unavoidable suffering that anybody will go through, whether through your own stupid decisions, other people's stupid decisions, the accidents, natural disasters, illness, whatever. There's a certain amount of suffering. I'm not talking about that. Particularly, I'm talking about the suffering that comes because you've chosen to be a Christian, There's a certain amount of pain that you might go through because you are trying to follow Jesus that does then test your faith. And when your faith is tested and it comes through the other side, then it is shining like gold and it is worth something. Every relationship that you go through that's worth anything goes through tests. And if you bail on the first struggle in a relationship, then that relationship isn't really worth much to you. It may have been more just about how it makes you feel, right? But if you get through those tests in relationship, then you have something valuable. How much more in a relationship with Jesus? If at the first sign of trouble, I'm out of my relationship with Jesus, then it really wasn't worth much to me, right? Because if I only believe that God is good when things are good, then I am shallow, right? And if his faith in Jesus, and he is not good enough to to make it through the difficult times, then it's not really worth much in my life. So this is how we get gold built into our life. This is challenging. So there are many ways that we have to persevere and many types of trials that we can persevere through. I've got a couple, just some examples. There's many, many others we could talk about. I want to talk about first, relational difficulties. Have you ever had any problems in relationships? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we have many problems sometimes with other Christians. Those can be the worst. Sometimes we have problems with other people in our lives because we've decided to follow Jesus. It creates. Tension and stress in our relationships. Any relationship has difficulties that go through it. And I've got so many examples of this, but I can't share them publicly because I don't want to call anybody out. Not in this room, of course, never. But in other places, right? Because you guys are perfect. Um, But there's many times that we have relational difficulties. I'll just give you one just general example. just to give you an idea to get you to thinking about this, so I don't think you probably need much prompting to think about relational difficulties. So we've been part of Ocean's Church since it was Everlife, so it's almost been five years. So we were, par- we were coming before launch, and then we launched in 2019, and things were going really well, and then there was that virus, do you remember that? That was a thing for a little while we joined up with Oceans in Albany, which was fantastic, and then our senior pastors went to move down to Albany, which was great for them and a little less fantastic for us. But then we got the benefit of Jaden and Ash, which was actually really, really good, so that actually worked out really well. But through all of these challenges, we had a lot of people coming and going, a lot of shifts, a lot of difficulties, and church wasn't always fun all the time. It was difficult to know who was in, who was out, and that happens when they're shaking, and that's fine, you know, no no dramas. But there came a point where I was like, I'd rather go somewhere that's fun. (laughs) This isn't fun anymore, right? But that thought is quickly replaced by, am I committed to this or not? Are these my people or not my people? If I switch to some other church or some other place, there'll be different problems, but there'll be other problems and i will still be there so there will be the me problems that are going to follow me wherever i go right and so it was a little test it's just a little example it honestly wasn't a huge test for me but but it's an example of one type of relational test that you can go through and there are many many types that i'm sure you can think of i want to go to something a little bit a little bit more let's talk about tests of obedience persevering through tests of obedience now This will hurt. Jesus, maybe. Jesus is Lord. We call him Lord. And Lord means he's in charge. Right? And if he is Lord of our life, it means he should have the right to speak into our life. He should have a right to cross my will at times. And to correct me. And to direct me. And I don't like that. Because I want to do what I want to do. And I do not want to be told by anybody to do what I don't want to do. I love it when Jesus leads me according to what I want. And sometimes he just doesn't do that. Sometimes he leads me in better ways, much better ways. And when he starts to challenge us in issues of what we call lordship, then it it, it starts to test our faith. Because sometimes what he asks of us doesn't make sense to our culture to our natural way of thinking, sometimes he just tells us, you know, get rid of these bad things in your life, start doing good things. That makes sense. A little bit difficult, okay. But sometimes he starts correcting things in your life that don't seem to be good or bad, or sometimes are countercultural, and it's very difficult. Let me give you a story. Let me give you an example. So I came to Australia when I was nineteen. I grew up in the states, um, and I came here when I was nineteen. I was doing a gap year. Uh, so I work with Youth with a Mission, (YWM) Ministry. Uh, I do Bible translation there. I do all sorts of stuff. But but I came uh, to Australia in the second half of my gap year, and then I was going to go on to university. Obviously, I've been very successful at making this a one-year venture. Um, but it was just a few weeks after I'd arrived here in Perth that I started to feel that little niggle from God. I felt like perhaps my plans needed to change. And I felt like perhaps I needed not to go to university and to join this ministry and start making this my career to start with. Now, that was a big decision. Live in a different country. Don't go to university. Start doing a different career, right? This stuff was a big decision. So I took some time to pray. I said, God, if this is you, I want to know. I don't want to just make this decision that's so massive on my own. I kind of felt a little bit peaceful about it, but I kind of needed a little bit more. So I said, God, give me a scripture or something. I was being a little bit demanding, but immediately a reference came to my mind. Genesis 26 verse 3. And I did not know what it said any more than you know what it says. I looked in my Bible and do you know what it said? It said, stay in this land and you will be blessed. And I thought, I just heard from Jesus. I don't care what he said, I just had an experience with God, that was crazy. But the implications of that meant, and God began to speak to me very clearly to not go to university. Now for some of you, you'd be like, yes please, Don't ever tell me to go to university. That would be a nightmare. For me, I love learning. I love study. I was very good at school. I had very high grades. I could have gone anywhere. Like, I was really good at school, very naturally. But God said, No, do not go to university. That was a struggle for me to lay down, but I said, I will obey. But every, you know, few months, I'd sort of bring it back up. Okay, maybe I've done this for a little while. Now I'm going to go study. Now I'm going to go get that degree. I'm going to do this thing. All my friends are doing this. This is what I want to do now. No, says God. Got married a couple years later. I would often talk with my wife, Debbie. Do you think, do you think it's time? Should I do this? She says, I don't think it's right. I talked to people that I trusted. I'd pray about it. And it's just, it was just never right. This went on year after year after year. And I, I started to ask less frequently, But by the time it got to 5, 8, 10, 12, 15 years, I stopped asking. This just is not what's right for me. That's okay. God, I'll lay it down forever if that's what you want. Fast forward 17 years. We'd been living on the East Coast for a little while. We were getting ready to move back here to Perth. We were, you know, praying, God, what do you want to say? And I felt God bring up this word, it's time to study And I was suspicious of myself because I thought that's what I want to do. But I know well enough now not to trust myself too far with what I want. And so I talked to people and they said, it's right, now is is a good time. I still was being passive about it in a godly way. Sometimes you need to be passive. Sometimes you need to be active. This was a passive time. Don't force your way. But then it was COVID, and what happened is I got presented with some opportunity to start studying linguistics, which was not what I would have studied when I was 19, let me tell you. I was going to be a musician. I still am, but I was going to study music. And you know what? In the last three years, I've done a bachelor's degree, I've done a master's degree, and I'm doing a second master's degree. I haven't stopped. I've done a lot of study. I made up for all of that time. in that time. But you know what? I see now the wisdom of God because if I had gone with my plan, number one, I would be burdened with millions of dollars of student debt because America, right? But then second, (laughs) second, I would have been arrogant, right? Because what God did in the meantime was just hammered into my arrogance and my pride and my intellectualism and started focusing me on building my character and my leadership qualities and my teamwork skills and all of the stuff that i did not have when i was 19 and so now that i'm in my 40s i look back and i say now i am the type of person that can do this and now what i'm studying is what i was born for not what i thought i was born for and i see the wisdom of god but let me tell you for two decades 20 years i did not understand i had no understanding it was just raw obedience a test of faith, and now I can say I see gold. That's my journey. I don't know what yours is. It will probably be different, but there are things that God challenges on, and the test is when you don't understand, right? You always get wisdom from others. You talk about it, right? You don't just kinda just take a vision that comes to you and just go on it. You get wisdom, you you get smarts around it, you talk to people that you trust, but when you know it's the Lord, then there is a test that comes, and that starts to build gold. In your life, right? Okay, third thing, because we've got to move it along, is when things do not go like they're supposed to go, when things do not go according to plan. What happens when you step out in obedience and then things go wrong? We've got to persist in this because things will go wrong in our life. And it is very confusing when you think you're walking in obedience to God and things are not working out. What do you do? Do you trust God or do you start to go back on it, right? Doubt is part of our faith journey. Don't worry about that. But do you persist in what he calls you to do, right? Now, in our calling, Debbie and I work in full-time ministry. We do not have a regular salary. That's not how our income comes. It comes in different ways through support systems. It's a very unusual way to do finance. It's not the normal way to do it. But for some people, that's what they do. That's what we do. We've got many, many, many stories, many testimonies. Let me just tell you a quick anti-testimony when it didn't work. So we were having our third baby, Debbie was pregnant, we had two toddlers, and 40% of our support dropped out in one day. So you can imagine taking a 40% cut to your income. Not good. (laughs) And so what's your prayer in a moment like that? Help! God, get us out of this situation. We did everything that we needed to do. Nothing seemed to work. And you know what started to come out of my heart? No, by the way, this was 10 years later into our missionary journey. I had story after story after story after story of God's miraculous provision. I knew God. I'd built my faith. I'd been through the tests. And yet not like this. Do you you ever brush your teeth? (laughs) Even if you don't, say yes. When you take the tube of toothpaste and you squeeze, what happens? What's on the inside comes out. What happens to you when you're squeezed? What's on the inside comes out, right? And under this type of particular pressure in my life, stuff started to come out that I did not like. I thought I believed in God until this particular type of pressure. As a father with young kids, with the money not coming in, the pressure started to mount and out of my heart comes complaint and bitterness and God, don't you care about us? And I thought, I thought that we are serving you, but this is not working and why don't you love me anymore? And I would be whinging and complaining about God. And I'm not talking about for anything extravagant, just for our basics, right? Just the basics that we needed for our life. Nothing, nothing major. And inevitably, by the end of the days, when I complained the most, I would find myself walking home with bags of groceries that God had miraculously provided some way during that day, thinking, why am I such an idiot? I am literally living in the provision of God, and I don't trust Him. And I started to realize this was not about the situation. This was about my heart, Because I needed to be in control and when I was not in control I could not be in faith and God needed to deal with that in my life and so my prayers started to change from help get us out of this as quick as possible to do that plus could you also deal with my heart along the way three and a half years this lasted it was a that's that's how hard my heart was I guess. Difficult time, but my prayers started to change by the end of these three years because I started to see the problem in my heart was so deep that I could not trust God. I was bound up by unbelief and mistrust and control so deeply that it took an intense amount of testing to get it out of my life. And I started to pray prayers like this, God, do not get me out of this test until you've dealt with my heart. Because I started to see something, that the, when God begins to deal with our heart, you cannot buy that. There's no amount of money that you can pay to get the dealings of God in your heart. And so faith becomes more precious than gold when it's tested, because you cannot buy faith like gold. You cannot buy that, but it's the dealings of God in our lives that start to produce that. And it was in our journey that God did that for me. We got out of that situation eventually. Things are quite different. But, but what God did in my heart has remained with me through that time. So what about for you? When things go wrong, is there faith that comes out of you? Probably not. Because you're probably just normal, right? But what begins to happen is we embrace the ugliness of our heart and say, God, that's not who I want to be. I want to be a person that under pressure actually believes you really, that really trusts you, that my gut response is, I believe you, Jesus. That I don't have to work it up or fake it, but that I'm actually loyal to him and it's tested. That comes painfully. There's no other way. There is no other way. You can't just get a tested faith without testing. There's just no other way. And so God, in his kindness, I think, however he works it, I'm not smart enough to know. But in his kindness, I think perhaps he lets us go through some difficulties. Maybe not every difficulty we face is from him. I don't know. He didn't tell me. But I think in his kindness, there's squeezing that comes into our life because there's no other way to get at stuff in our life, right? So let me give you to finish up which doesn't mean much, but um, finishing that is. Um, let me give you another scripture and just a couple points on how do we persevere practically then. So this is from Hebrews 12, to three. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders So I've got a couple of points, but just one thing I want to say before this that I think just particularly for Ocean's Perth that I want to emphasize because so many in this room are new in their journey of faith, or young in their life. There's a few, you know, that are not, but they're like me. But I want to just talk to you just for just a minute about the value of sacrifice and following Jesus. We love the ideal of everything being kind of easy. I like that. We, we have a big emphasis on work-life balance, yes. Being healthy, yes, of course. No problem there. Except that in following Jesus, there is necessary sacrifice that comes. And we have to be willing to embrace that, to follow Jesus. If everything is smooth in our life forever, then I question whether we're really following him. It's a, it's a paradox, it's a tricky thing. And particularly when you are stepping out to follow Jesus and to do good. And you want to minister to other people. There is sacrifice that comes as a necessity to that. Now let me just be, just be honest with you for a minute. Just be open to share something. I don't normally want to do this, but I felt like I, I should do this. So I travel a lot, yeah? So if you know me, you see that I'm, I'm here, there, I'm everywhere all the time. I, I've been in all six continents in the last 13 months, teaching, doing ministry, doing all sorts of stuff. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. I love it, right? Right? But what you're seeing there, if you only know me for a little bit, is you're seeing the, the end process of over 20 years, 25 years of ministry, of sacrifice, of stuff that nobody saw. So I'm getting the fruit now in this type of ministry that I've sowed in for a very long time. Yeah? And the other thing that you don't necessarily see, because we don't make it public, is that that ability to travel comes with quite a lot of sacrifice in other areas of our life. Yeah? So we don't have a regular salary, we don't own a home, there's many sacrifices we make in regular parts of our life in order to do the things that make it possible for us to minister in different parts of the world, right? And I just want to just let, let you know about that, so that it, you, you understand that sometimes you see the fruit in someone's life, but you don't see the story that goes behind it. You don't often advertise the things where there's struggle or suffering or difficulty that produces that fruit, because that's a, nobody wants to hear about that necessarily, right? But I just wanted to share with that, because sometimes you might just see, oh, this is the fruit of what's happening. And if, for instance, in my life, that I'm doing all these wonderful things, and it seems really, really easy, but there's another story that you don't know about, right? And there's decades behind that that you don't see. And so this is what persistence does, is eventually it starts to bear fruit in our life if we don't give up. But in order to do that, let's go back to the previous slide, uh, yep. We need four things. Three things. Five? Three? Probably three. Three is a good number for a sermon, right? We, we need a cloud of witnesses. What is a great cloud of witnesses? That sounds really funny. What's being talked about here is all the heroes of the faith that have gone before us, the people whose stories that we know about, plus the people in our lives. In other words, we need relationships. You need a cloud of witnesses, which means you need other people around you to encourage you to persevere. You cannot persevere without relationships, without other people spurring you on to persevere. Otherwise, you will give up. You will lose hope, right? We need to plant ourselves in a place like hey, here, or wherever it is where we get spurred on by others to say, don't give up. Don't lose the goal that you are getting by giving up too early. Persevere in this, even if this lasts for three years. Do not give up. You need people around you to say, what you are going through will produce fruits in your life that you will not be able to imagine if you don't give up. Because By ourselves, we just give up. We lose hope. We don't want to persevere. We don't want to do the difficult things. Who does? But other people around us see into our life and say, don't give up too early. Don't lose the reward of your life. And so secondly, what we need to do is we need to get rid of, Hebrews 12 says, get rid of weights, get rid of sin, get rid of stuff that weighs us down. And so in our life, part of persistence is dealing with sin in our life. Right, But part of it also is dealing with otherwise good things in our life that are not of eternal value. And I can't tell you what those are for your life. Your journey will be different than mine. But we need to be sensitive to God and the wisdom of others in our life and not listen to the seductive voice of our culture of complacency that wants us to live lives of worthlessness. That look good because this is a beautiful country. This is a wonderful place to live. We have such a high quality of life. Even with our economic climate, we are still living in incredible abundance. This is a beautiful place, right? Just walk outside. My goodness. What kind of place is this, right? But this can seduce us to thinking that these are eternally valuable things, and they are not. And so we want to live a life that is unencumbered by weights. This might mean making decisions that are not normal. This might mean, like we did, we don't encumber ourselves by a mortgage. Why? Because we can't afford one. (laughs) Amen, right? No, but seriously, we've made decisions to be that type of people. For you, though, the decision might be in obedience to take on the mortgage, to be the type of people that have a space that you can host people, and that's your step of faith. I can't tell you whether this is good or bad or whatever, right? This is the wisdom of God for your life, not my wisdom for your life. But we need to throw off the things that God says no to and embrace the things that God says yes to be the type of people he wants us to be, right? As best as you know how to do, given where you're at right now. Third thing, though, the most important thing to persevere, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. He is our, our example. There's no other reason that we have for persevering in this life except for Jesus. If we don't have a vision of eternity, if we don't have the end in mind, then why on earth would we sacrifice now, right? It makes no sense. But when we get a vision of Jesus and his worthiness when we start to feel his affection for us, when we start to realize that he is the most important person that has ever lived, and he is the most important person in all of eternity, then it starts to change our value system. And we say, I'm going to live differently now because of his value later. And two things we need to fix our eyes on. One of them is a little bit scary. It's that Jesus is the judge, and he will judge us. And this this is a little bit scary. But 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that we all... We'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ, where we will receive the reward of what we've done in the body, whether for good or bad, right? All of us have to give an account of our life. And sometimes I imagine myself before that judgment seat of Christ, making the excuses that, you know, we all make, justifying my behavior giving my little, you know, why I can't do the right thing now because I'm tired or I don't feel like it, or it was such a hard week, and, you know, you imagine standing before Jesus and giving him those type of excuses, and it doesn't work very well. When I look at Jesus, the one with the scars in his hands and his feet who suffered and died, and I say, I don't feel like sacrifice today, Jesus. It doesn't really work very well, and I feel, I'm, I'm like, Sorry. <laughs> We need perspective, right? Because second and more encouraging is he is the one who rewards us, right? He is the one who rewards us. So let's get the worship team back up now as we go into this, this final point. Jesus is the one that at the end of our lives will give us the reward. He will judge, but he will also reward. There's this fantastic scripture in James chapter 1, verse 12. We'll finish with this scripture. James 1, verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, I imagine that you know at the end of our life, when we get tested by fire and the gold comes out, in my imagination, then Jesus takes that gold and forms it into a a crown, like a reward for our life. Said, look, this stuff that you've done of eternal value becomes like the crown of reward that you wear. But then my mind goes over to this beautiful passage in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter four, where it's the scene around the throne of God. And there's this cast of characters called the 24 elders. We don't know who they are, but what we do is we see them with their crowns of gold on their head and, and they, they throw those crowns down before Jesus. And they declare, you are worthy, our Lord and God. And they continually throw those crowns down. And then I think, you know what? At the end of my life, The things that I have done of eternal value becomes the reward that Jesus gives to me, but it's the reward that then I give straight back to Him. And I imagine at the end of our lives, we have something to offer to God and saying, this is what I thought you were worth. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to the end of my life and have nothing to show for it. This is not about His love for us. But this is about the one chance that we have in all of eternity to make a statement about the worth of Jesus. This is your chance. Once you are dead, you don't have another opportunity to say, Jesus, you're worthy. This is the life that you live. And when we build with eternal substance, at the end of our life, we offer that to Jesus and say, this this is what I had to give. If I had more lives, I would have given them. It's not about living perfectly. But it's... It's about living with the end in mind. And the ultimate end is you standing before the beautiful face of Jesus. The one who has loved you with the love that you only half know. The one that has pursued you before you thought to pursue him. The one that has suffered and died so that you can be in relationship with God, right? At the end of our life, we live for Him, and we live with His values in mind. And the biggest test of our faith in this society is to live sacrificially in a society that is complacent and materialistic and caught up with worthlessness. And we say, no, I will not live a worthless life in a complacent society, but I will live a life that screams the worthiness of Jesus to a society that could care less. So we're going to go into some worship right now, and I want you to stand with me. I want you to stand with me, and I want us to begin to think about a response to Jesus. We've said a lot of things tonight, and I imagine that you feel a bit of challenge. I imagine that it hurts a little bit. You're thinking of things in your life that perhaps the Lord is putting his finger on, and that is painful, and it's difficult, and it is uncomfortable. But right now, we want to respond to Jesus and say, you know what? Whatever it takes in my life, I want to live in such a way as to honor you as best as I can with what I know today. Let's just begin to worship Him. Eh? Let's just begin to worship Him. Thank you for listening to the Oceans Church podcast. For more information, visit oceans.church.